0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Polygon Alpha podcast. Join us as we explore the latest trends, innovations, and strategies in this exciting world of decentralized finance and Web3. Our guests are experts and thought leaders in the industry sharing their insights and experiences to help you better navigate this rapidly evolving crypto landscape. And I'm your host, Justin Havens, a.k.a. Crypto Texan. So sit back, relax, and let's get started. Today, we are joined by Miguel Morel, the CEO of Arkham Intelligence, an early stage startup at the forefront of the rapidly expanding crypto intelligence industry. Miguel, thanks for being here with us today. How's everything going on your end? Thank you, Justin. Things are great. Doing well. And you're in Argentina right now, I think you told me. So what's what's going on there? What brings you to Argentina? Uh, well, actually, th- this one's actually
1: a bit of a, a of a coincidence. Well, number one, Argentina is huge for, for crypto overall. Um, you know, obviously as a market with, with high inflation, they, they, they really love crypto down here. Uh, and so there's plenty of, of crypto companies and, and partners to, uh, to interact with. Um, but also a, as a hobby, I, I actually play polo. Uh, and Argentina is like the, the capital of, uh, of, of horse polo around the globe. And so, um, right now, it's actually summertime down here because they're in the s- southern hemisphere, uh, and so it's a good place to, to to work and to to you know play sports and uh, and and relax a little bit um, during the the winter in the northern hemisphere.
0: Wow, Miguel Morel, the polo player, starting off with some pretty great trivia. So, what what is like your background like, and how did you get into the crypto space? That's always good for just the base layer information.
1: Yeah. So um, my background is: so I grew up in Philadelphia, and then I moved to the Bay Area to start my first startup. Uh, I ended up working on a project called Reserve Protocol, uh, which is a, a stablecoin company uh, actually focused on hyperinflationary economies, uh, Argentina being one of those uh, that that was a target market. And so that's actually how I got my my initial start into the world of cryptocurrency and trading and trying to find use cases. Um Then in 2020, I founded uh, Arkham with my co-founder, Henry. Uh, and then after that, uh, we essentially, you know, got started building out what we wanted to call kind of like a, a piece of software for total crypto intelligence. So essentially, it would be one platform where you could look up any individual, any company, any trading firm. You would be able to see what their cryptocurrency activity looked like across any different chain so rather than just going on to a singular block explorer and looking up a ethereum address and then trying to see what the activity behind it was you could actually look up a person or look up a, a company and then see like their cryptocurrency history across multiple different chains uh, and you could use that for e- uh, you know ecosystem development uh if you if you're a startup you see it see people who are using your token um but additionally you could use it for you know trading diligence assessing counterparty risk if you're looking at in exchanges wallets for example uh and so that was a kind of high level vision and we've been working
0: on it for the past 3 years oh that's incredible and yeah with your with your previous project reserve protocol um was there anything that you did at reserve protocol that made you think wow i think you know, something like Arkham intelligence would be very beneficial to the ecosystem? Or I don't know, like, are there any lessons that you learned uh, with reserve protocol that you took forward with you as an entrepreneur in the Web3 space when developing Arkham intelligence?
1: So that's a great question. I think um, the most valuable kind of takeaway and most valuable lesson is there's a bunch of infrastructure in the traditional startup landscape, you know, traditional Vintex and so on, where you have the ability to learn more about your customer and you have the ability to understand their use cases, understand their, you know, demographics, understand more about your market, more about your customer and what it is they're doing with, with your cryptocurrency uh, or, or with your startup and whatever application you've built. However, in the cryptocurrency ecosystem overall, especially if you, know, if you have a coin that a bunch of people are using and it's just you know, an ERC-20 token, you actually don't have as much information about what people are doing. You don't have as much information about who those people are, uh, and therefore you have you know, less power to actually target particular use cases, target particular kinds of individuals who you maybe want to market to, uh, and so forth. And so I think overall, like an important lesson um, that 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 was a really big takeaway for me was there are a ton of crypto projects at the time and still to this day uh, who are very eager to learn more about their target markets or learn more about their existing customers, uh, get user analytics. Um, but the infrastructure for that, for cryptocurrency in particular, just didn't really exist. And so that was one of the major takeaways for, for, for why I wanted to start Arkham based on you know, some of those initial learnings.
0: Yeah. And I don't know, what what do you think are like some of the most prevailing use cases for this type of technology that Arkham is providing? Because it is very difficult to read data on chain, I guess, like for the average user. Um, Yeah. what, What are your thoughts there?
1: So in general, um I think the the main kind of use case is is exploring blockchain data. I think that's that's the best way to to kind of think about it. Um however, as you mentioned, the current sort of block explorer landscape and, and ecosystem is not necessarily the, the easiest thing uh for people to use, especially if they're not crypto native. Uh and so for many people, when you're thinking about activity uh of any kind of asset environment, purchases, sales. Etc. cetera, you are generally thinking about that in terms of people and companies. You're saying, you know, person X bought Y, you know, trading firm Z bought X, uh, or, you know, company, you know, a sold B. Um, you don't think about it in terms of these, like pseudonymous addresses, right? You don't, you don't think about it in terms of alpha alphanumerics. And so what we're trying to do is actually make cryptocurrency data much more readable is number one. Um, and then second to that, we're actually trying to make it significantly more accessible. Uh, and so it's not just a problem of legibility and how easy it is to, to to just go in and understand cryptocurrency information. The other thing that's very important is actually um, the ability to do that without background technical knowledge and technical skill and domain specific, you know, pieces of technology. Right. So you don't need to you know, no SQL in order to to use Arkham, you don't need to understand blockchain architecture. You just need to know what a search bar is and know what it is you're looking for. And you can get to to the relevant information and in response.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So I mean how is Arkham just making it easier to read this on-chain data for the for the average user?
1: So the way in which it becomes easier is um and, and for this part I can kind of get into a little bit of our uh, background technology because it'll explain, you know, the data that is currently available to people now and then what we do with it in order to transform it into something that's much more useful. So the the, the kind of first piece of this is actually collecting all of the, the information. So we only use publicly available data, uh, most of which exists on on-chain. Uh, and so we run our own, you know, infrastructure in order to collect that information and collect that data. So rather than just looking at raw blockchain information. We take that, we clean it up, and we store it in our database. Afterwards, we then attempt to find attributions or labels. And so that is essentially just the business of taking that alphanumeric address uh, and then attaching the name of a particular individual or a company on it. Uh, and then afterwards, we put it all into one platform in a seamless interface um, that people can use to then just search for the labels and tags and metadata that lives on top of the actual raw blockchain data information itself. Um, And so when people are are not using Arkin, but instead just like using a block explorer, they're actually querying and looking at block explorer specific, you know, information and blockchain specific information without necessarily having any like labels or metadata or tags on top of it. Uh, versus when they use Arkham, it's not just that kind of base foundational layer, which you might find in other platforms and, and services. Um, but rather you get a bunch of the information on top, which makes it a lot easier to understand who are the people behind these transactions? What are they doing with the money? Um, and, uh, and is this part of a pattern? Is it, you know, an individual transaction? Uh, and then we add other kinds of, you know, capabilities to do, to do research such as, you know, for example, our visualizer feature. Many people like using that in order to not have to look at transactions via list view, but instead see it as part of like kind of like broader network
0: analysis. Yeah. And how do you feel like this type of transparency benefits the ecosystem as a whole? Or do you feel like maybe it's too much?
1: No, I definitely think it's incredibly beneficial. I mean, you know, there are so many examples, unfortunately, of cases where it would have been incredibly useful to know exactly what was going on. Uh, At a particular service or at a company or, you know, an exchange uh, in order to understand like, okay, what kind of risk am I taking on by associating with this counterparty? Like, you know, either I'm trading with them or I'm holding funds there or, you know, we're working together in some capacity. I have exposure to this entity. Um, How can I actually, you know, manage and mitigate risk by assessing what their sort of on-chain portfolio looks like, on-chain risk on chain activity in order to better understand like what I'm actually getting myself into. So as a whole, I actually think it's super important to be able to know what other people are, 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 are doing, if you're intending to trade with them or custody with them, or, you know, a variety of these different use cases. Um, But, uh, but, you know, that can be very difficult when, you know, though the data is trans uh, is transparent, it can be very opaque. So, you know, you can get access to it, um, but it can be difficult to understand what's actually, you know, what's actually going on. Uh, And I think that in many ways, this is, you know, having access to this kind of information and then letting people make their own decisions uh, is, you know, a better outcome than let's say something like, you know, massive amounts of regulation.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think like in my mind, there seems to be almost like a paradox in the space. Maybe paradox isn't the right word to use here, but definitely like conflicting ideals where, you, know, you have some people that say crypto should be transparent. That's one of the benefits. However, it is still difficult to read that data on chain, which Arkham helps with. But you also have people that say, well, we actually need more privacy features on the blockchain uh, for this mass adoption. So I don't know, in your mind, like how do you grapple with these, I guess, conflicting ideologies within the crypto space?
1: I think in general, you, you kind of have people in crypto who get broken down into two camps. The first are the ideologues who are like really big believers in, let's say like, I don't know, crypto libertarianism, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and privacy preserving technologies and so forth. And the other camp of people is actually just those who believe that it's a more efficient financial system and it's like a good way to make money. It's a good way to like transfer funds. Um, but it's not really something that's like ideological and they're not really looking for privacy tools. Um, I think that both of both of these communities can can exist in tandem uh, for for a very long time, uh, if not forever. Though I think that the second camp of people, those people who are in it mostly just because it's very efficient and for the utility, um, if it has not already, uh, it'll eventually be you know one thousand, ten thousand x larger um, than like the ideological privacy preserving group. Um, and one kind of uh, anecdote that I, that I like to sort of provide here, um, is actually the example of the internet. So I think the internet and its trajectory historically have, have had very similar outcomes to the ones I think crypto will have, which is that it starts small, starts niche, starts within like a very technologically advanced, uh, group of people on like mailing lists and, uh, and, you know, who are somewhat, you know, kind of libertarian and, you know, are interested in this kind of beautiful new technology that can, you know, potentially take over the world. Um, and then eventually, you know, it kind of grows beyond that to a more, you know, normie group of people. In the case of the internet, it grew to everyone. Uh, in the case of crypto, I think still there, there, there's still a good tie between the OGs and the current, you know, users. I don't think like everyone's grandma is using crypto yet. Um, however, as it gets to that stage, the ideologues uh, will, will matter less and less. Uh, and I think that like the internet, uh, crypto will continue to have privacy-preserving technologies. I mean, the Internet has, for example, you know, the Tor browser, um, or you can use a VPN. Um, and there are more lightweight versions as well. I know some people use, like, Brave, um, for example. It's kind of like a lightweight version of, uh, of protecting your data and so on. But the reality is that, like, Google crushes all of those companies. In terms of just like raw number of, of users and how many people are actually familiar with it and use the product on a daily basis, uh, and I think we might have something analogous for for crypto, where like yeah, Monero exists and you know Zcash exists and there are these like so-called privacy tools, but they won't be like very widely uh, uh, adopted. is my is is my prediction. It'll end up being very similar to something like you know using a Tor browser or, or, or Brave, uh, where you know it's just kind of People who are very obsessed uh with you know their particular like interests uh and and to everybody else like it, it just doesn't matter
0: yeah i think i think that makes perfect sense and i think you're right i think probably at the beginning of this uh cryptocurrency blockchain movement we definitely did have a lot of that i guess like libertarian crypto anarcho-capitalistic type of ideologues who are like the core of the space but as the space continues to grow and mature i think that, that you're right you know there's there's room for different ideals and those conflicting opinions and i think that helps the space grow quite a bit as well um and i mean and that's the thing with like this open source permissionless technology is that Anyone can use it for whatever reason they see fit as long as it, you know, adheres to the code. And, you know, I think, you know, and that also draws in, you know, those malicious actors as well, which, which we've talked about a little bit. And, you know, I think it's a lot easier to have the benefit of hindsight typically. Uh, which helps us to identify those malicious actors in the space. But do you think there's anything that we can look for on chain that maybe could help us to identify those potential malicious actors in the space without that benefit of hindsight? Yeah,
1: definitely. So, um, you know, one of the kind of key pillars of what we're attempting to do uh, at Arkham is, you know, not just doing kind of what what we've previously described as retroactive uh, analysis or retrospective analysis. So, you know, like like you just said, there's kind of always the benefit of hindsight of, oh, you know, this thing collapsed and it had like $10 billion in it. Like, let's look back in the time machine and like see, you know, what exactly like went wrong here. And it's like, OK, well, you know, maybe that helps build like a legal case, but nobody's getting their money back. It's gone. Um And, you know, we want to move past that. To a more kind of proactive, um, you know, response to, to this kind of, uh, this, these kinds of dealings. Um, and so the most important thing is just awareness, uh, awareness and, you know, analysis in real time. So, you know, I recommend that people go and, and they use all of the available tools at hand. Hopefully Arkham is one of them. Uh, and you can go in and you can analyze all of these different services, smart contracts, project treasuries. And we as an industry can start holding people, you know, accountable for their activity and we can start holding them accountable for, uh, you know, what it looks like they're doing on chain versus what their public claims are. Right. Companies and and and, and people and project founders are constantly making public claims and, uh, and public statements about, you know, their current position and the kinds of activity that they engage in and, you know, how many funds they have and so forth. Um, you know, look on chain, look and make sure that, you know, what they're saying is, is, uh, is, is correct. You know, go onto these projects, use our alerting feature, right? We have the ability for people to set alerts on, you know, activity that they might consider to be anomalous, uh, for any given entity on the Arkham platform. So, for example, you know, you can set an alert for a project treasury and see if it starts getting drained, right? And so set alerts for all of these different things and actually you know, be an active guardian and steward of, uh, of all these different projects. And obviously, if you see anything suspicious, say something, raise it to the community, and then hopefully it can be uncovered ahead of time before there's too much damage.
0: I guess, like, how, how do you differentiate yourself from your competitors at Arkham Intelligence? Like, I think, you know, in my mind first thing I think about is like Nansen is very similar or even chain analysis is very similar. Like how do you compare and contrast yourself to those other projects?
1: So I, I kind of break up the the analytics market into a couple different sectors. Uh, number one is the actual like regulatory and compliance players uh, and those would be sort of like the more chain analysis like companies that that you just described. Um, Where, you know, the main differentiator is they are incredibly focused on like government and regulatory and compliance use cases, whereas we are not like we are built for crypto traders, like trade people who trade crypto and who speculate on crypto and who are making investments. Those are the people who use Arkham and those are the people for whom we built, you know, for government and other sorts of things like we'll leave that to the other players. Um, but for now, like it's all crypto specific market. Uh, and so there, there's almost like kind of like a, uh, a question of, of target market is like one big one. I think the second big thing is, uh, is business model. So, you know, those companies tend to have like large services contracts or, or consulting like models, whereas we are like true software SaaS, right? So we're, we're only building software. You don't have to talk to anybody. You can do all the work yourself. There's no onboarding process. Um, there's no sales pitch. Um, it's just you going on and you know using a piece of software just as you would use, let's say, TradingView, for example. And so that's another kind of major difference uh, in terms of business model. The other big kind of type of company um, that exists for blockchain analytics would then be the more consumer-facing ones, uh, and that would be you know a variety of them have surfaced. You know, let's say like Massari. Uh, Dune, Nansen, you know, and they all have their own different characteristics and, uh, and attributes. I think, you know, I won't speak towards some of the other projects, but like at least what I think makes Arkham the most special is just our ability to have that in-depth ent- entity analysis. So the ability to search for people and to search for funds and to search for exchanges by name and then see all of their addresses aggregated in a single place across blockchains uh, in one single kind of portfolio view. I think that's super powerful and I think it's the main thing that actually differentiates us uh from the rest. I think we actually have, you know, really great branding and a great community as well. Um and so I think, you know, that's that's been wonderful too and I think many people really appreciate that from us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, kind of in the same vein of talking about chain analysis and how closely they work with governments. Um just kind of want to get your thoughts on You know, in your mind, what are some of like the prevailing attitudes that you see from governments in regards to just the blockchain technology in general and just.
1: Broadly speaking, I think that, you know, many of the the different governments around the globe still have a very cautious view uh, towards cryptocurrency um, I think it's, it's an outdated view. Um, and mostly that's because, you know, those, those people aren't users. They're not actual, you know, uh, cryptocurrency, you know, degens. They're not people who use DeFi. They, they, you know, aren't web three enthusiasts. Uh, and so many of them still have this kind of, Almost like 2013, 2014 Silk Road view of crypto where, you know, it's only used exclusively for illegal activity. And, you know, anybody who uses crypto must be a criminal or else they wouldn't be using it. That's kind of like the overall sense that I get um, from some of these individuals. Um, But, you know, it's uh, as Binance very often, you know, discusses, I think a lot of it is just education. I think it's just that, you know, they, they're, they aren't really that online. They're certainly not crypto users. Um, and so they, they only understand what they saw in the news almost 10 years ago and they haven't really like evolved from that position. They, they've just heard that it's getting bigger. Right. And so they don't fully actually even understand. Um, what, what they're dealing with necessarily. And so I think that it's our job as an industry to try to educate as much as possible, not just government, but kind of the mass market as a whole. And eventually it'll, you know, make its way down and trickle down to, uh, to the government. Uh, and, uh, and, and then we'll have a more educated kind of, you know, regulatory class. Um, but for now, I think like overall it's very apprehensive.
0: Yeah. I think, especially in the US, you can definitely feel, you know, the, the abrasive approach to, I guess, the regulatory environment in general on on this industry. But I I know you travel a lot. I know I've seen you give talks in, you know, Europe. You're in Argentina right now. How do you feel about any differences? Or can you just kind of notate any of the differences in the U.S.'s approach to the regulatory environment versus maybe that of Argentina or, or in the U.K.? Because I think most people um, in the U.S., which is where I live, uh, think that, you know, anything that happens in crypto in the U.S. is happening everywhere in the world. And I, I don't think that's necessarily the case based on the conversations that I have with people on a daily basis. Yeah. So what, what are your thoughts there?
1: The U.S. Um, is, is interesting in the sense that we have the, the federal government. I'm an American, so I, I understand the U.S. You know, really well. Um, we have our, our kind of federal system, uh, made up of States, uh, which I think makes a really big difference, uh, compared to other kinds of countries. Right. I mean, you know, you're from Texas, you guys are basically your own, your own country and, you know, consider yourselves, uh, to, to be kind of your own thing. And there's been plenty of public statements from the governor and, you know, others who are super pro crypto.
0: We're cowboys if you were, if you yeah, will. Exactly. So,
1: uh, you know, I think like, in general that sort of attitude will lend you to to be more like pro bitcoin uh more in favor of like taking money away from you know the government the federal government's hands and uh and it's like a cultural thing almost right i mean texas is is uh you know even you know bigger than like france right it's it's bigger than some of the countries in some of these other places and so there's kind of like the high level you know view of of uh, of crypto in the united states which is um you know the federal Viewpoint, And that would be like the SEC, for example. And so, you know, there's the SEC view of stuff and then there's like everything else. Then there's like what the individual states think. And then even on, you know, so there's like what the SEC thinks. Then there's like what the Texas governor thinks or what Texas thinks. And then you can even get lower than that down to like the mayor level. Like, what does like the Miami mayor think about crypto and like, is that relevant for, you know, Miami people? So all these things are different and they all have different levels of impact. But by far, obviously, like in terms of hierarchy, the SEC and the chairman, um, Gensler, take precedence over, over everything else. Right. And that view is very hawkish. That view is very like, OK. Listen, like you know, uh, on a on a very high level, you know, we think that you know uh, cryptocurrencies need to make more disclosures, and you know, we need to make sure that uh, investors are protected. Um, and uh, you know, I agree, I agree with those uh, with with those statements. I do think there should be more disclosures. I do think you know there should be more uh, in investor protection. Uh, but the reality is that the way in which they're trying to go about this is you know kind of like uh, a rule by enforcement. Rather than rule by, you know, law, right? And so as a whole, the way they're, they're trying to enforce things, um, is, is actually by just going out, suing people, arresting them, subpoenaing them, rather than actually putting out very clear laws, very clear guidance, um, about what it is the cryptocurrency community should be doing as a whole, whenever they're issuing tokens or, you know, bringing on new customers. Um, This attitude is very different from other kinds of countries. So, for example, like I know the United Arab Emirates, where I've spent a little bit of time Um, you know, they, they have way more clear guidelines. They're like, okay, here's, here's what you can and can't do. Here's what you can and can't issue. If you do issue it, you need to make these kinds of disclosures and you need to file an application with this particular entity. Once you do all of that, then, you know, you don't have to pay corporate taxes because we're a zero tax country and we want to make sure that we can bring in the best talent. If you want to hire, you know, people here in the UAE, you can, you know, sponsor them for a golden visa. Like everything is just incredibly clear. Uh, And it it makes it so much more of a better market to operate in because you're not constantly worried about regulatory risk and the fact that that things aren't certain. I saw a really great quote from somebody basically saying, like, you know, um, many people in the federal government are trying to make it seem like. Crypto people break the law just to break the law, and it's not true. Crypto people are trying their best and they're getting their opinions from a variety of different sources, different kinds of regulatory bodies, securities lawyers, startup lawyers, corporate lawyers, so many different people. And the reality is that it's all conflicting information. Uh, and, and then it's just, you know, kind of a game of whack-a-mole about whether or not a regulator is going to come after you because there are, you know, specific bespoke rules. Uh, you know, you didn't fall to the T because they weren't clear about it. Um, and so I think that makes the U S kind of like a, a worse place to start a crypto company compared to actually starting one, uh, in somewhere like the UAE, um, or or Singapore, for example, are both kind of like very big uh, crypto hotspots
0: right now. So it sounds to me like you would say that Singapore and the UAE are might be the best place from a cryptocurrency policy perspective. Currently, is that fair to say?
1: Uh, I think from a cryptocurrency policy perspective, um, just pure policy, not taking into consideration anything else. I think the UAE, or yeah, the UAE and uh, and Singapore. Uh, are very great options in terms of regulatory clarity. Now, as an entrepreneur, regulatory clarity is not the only thing that you're optimizing for naturally, for for you personally or for for your company, Um, though, you know, maybe that's what the regulators would want. But, you know, the reality is that that's not what you're optimizing for. Uh, And so as a whole, when you're analyzing things holistically, um I actually think like the United Kingdom is probably one of the better places to 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 found a crypto company. I think, you know, it has really great quality of life, uh it has a very good kind of, you know, uh, civil law procedure, you know, it's a very kind of, you know, safe place, very clear rules, very clear guidance, um uh, but it's also a very nice place to live uh and to visit. And uh, and there's plenty of capital allocators there, plenty of crypto talent, uh, a little bit more Western than some of the other places. If you're coming from America, I think, you know, if you're coming from the Middle East, the UAE is a great place. and very familiar. If you're coming from Asia, Singapore is a really great place. and very familiar. If you're coming from the West, then I think the U.K. is actually a really
0: great option. Awesome. Thanks for those insights. And you kind of touched on something that goes into my next question, and that is, you know, when you're looking at Terra Labs and Celsius and FTX and Voyager and, I don't know, uh, Silicon Valley Bank um, in the, just the current regulatory environment in general, what is it like being an entrepreneur in the Web3 space? Like, does, it, does the thought ever come up, you know, like, why bother? <laughs> so this question is, uh,
1: there are multiple ways to, to tackle it. I think, you know, the most important thing as an entrepreneur is just to be focused on your business and more importantly, to be focused on your own users and your customers, because ultimately that's what's going to make you succeed. However, you also have to understand that, you know, there are going to be other players uh, who are in your space who might kind of, you know, make your space look worse or make it more difficult to fundraise or, you know, so on and so forth, or who you might be taking on counterparty risk with. And so those are the two most relevant kind of problems, I guess I would say, with with all the companies that you just mentioned. A, they made the reputation as a whole worse because when people think about industries, they think about their worst offenders, and not about their best. Uh, And then two, many of those people are, you know, uh counterparties to a bunch of others in the cryptocurrency space and could have been counterparties to us, even though they weren't. You know, thankfully, we we didn't have exposure to any of the major players that, that you just mentioned or that collapsed. Um, but I know people who, who were counterparties to those. And so the way to think about it is, you know, you're in an industry where there are a ton of landmines all over the place where you're constantly having to assess people, constantly having to do diligence, understanding what people's activity looks like in order to to, to understand and mitigate your counterparty risk. It's for that exact reason that we created Arkham in the first place. So that people can do better research about who they're interacting with and the bad actors in order to have these negative consequences not come about so frequently.
0: Yeah. And, you know, maybe taking a step back from the regulatory environment for a little bit, um, just in general, what trends are you paying most attention to in the crypto space right now? Um, Like what's what's catching your eye what do you feel like everyone else should be paying attention to? I think, I think by
1: far the, the most important thing that people should be paying attention to is DeFi um, and all of the different services that are coming about uh, from, from these ecosystems. Like when I think about crypto and when I think about like why I believe this industry is going to eat a substantial portion of the, you know, existing traditional financial system, it's because of DeFi. It's not because of anything else. It's because of, you know, layer twos like polygon. It's because of, you know, uh, uh, you know, dexes like, uh, like Uniswap, for example, like these are the kinds of players and, and services that make it all worthwhile, uh, and that make transmitting money between people much easier. And that's kind of like the whole, the whole point of cryptocurrency, right? It's to be able to custody your own funds, truly custody your own funds without this kind of like, uh, Silicon Valley bank style, like, oh, man, maybe my deposits are gone uh, kind of situation. Um, and then second, to be able to move that money as you please, cheaply, uh, if not for free, very quickly at any time of the day that you want to whoever you want. Right. That's the kind of fundamental purpose of cryptocurrency. And DeFi is fulfilling that vision to the fullest.
0: So I would say DeFi. Well, as a big fan of the DeFi ecosystem, especially a big fan of the DeFi ecosystem on Polygon, I really appreciate that answer. So thank you, Miguel. Um, And what about like the, the traditional finance space? Like, do you see the traditional finance system further integrating into the DeFi ecosystem or the Web3 space in general? And what do you feel like that timeline looks like?
1: The most important thing that traditional finance is for right now is on and off ramps. That's like the most important thing, if not the only thing, that's like actually relevant um, for the traditional, you know, financial world uh, and, uh, and and cryptocurrency right now, um, because people want to cash out and they need to like pay rent and stuff, and so that's why they that's why we care about tradfi in general. So. I think that two things are very likely to, to to happen. I think like out of the majority of you know worlds and majority of cases where you know something where crypto actually survives and thrives, there are only two outcomes. Um, number one, it completely replaces the you know traditional financial system and so that means like we don't have to fiat on an off-ram anymore. people are just crypto native. And DeFi by default, right, is kind of how how I like to how I like to describe it. You know, you just never have to touch a Bank of America ever again and can go fully, you know, full like kind of digital revolution again. Like it used to be the case that when people were moving money around, it was always in physical cash. At some point, it became that 98 percent of all money was transferred electronically. And that was like a big innovation and a big change in behavior. Um And I think that the same thing will happen with crypto where at some point we will go from like 99% of transactions happening in TradFi to some overwhelming share of it becoming, you know, DeFi native. Uh, And then it just gets replaced entirely. The second option that I think is very likely is actually just like segregation. There will be the people who only use crypto, and then there will be the people who only use traditional financial systems, and they will remain like, separate in the same way they are now, and maybe, like, the crypto ecosystem just grows a whole bunch more, but then that doesn't mean that we necessarily lose all the legacy financial infrastructure that already exists. Now, I'll point out that the difference between world one and world two, as I just described them, is one is where the cryptocurrency ecosystem completely eats TradFi, and the other is one where it just exists in parallel as like this like alternate system that is available for people to use. But it doesn't mean that it completely kills it. And more importantly, it doesn't mean that they necessarily integrate either. I think like full integration is probably like one of the less likely outcomes uh, for the cryptocurrency ecosystem, just because it's not in the best interest of all of the current existing players. And is almost also contradictory to, you know, the wishes of, of regulators. And so it'll either take that whole world by storm or it'll just exist on its own separate from it without being able to be shut down. But that doesn't mean it necessarily integrates.
0: Yeah, I think, I think I definitely agree with you there. Um, you know, I think that, you know, there's still people who use snail mail versus email. And it works. It's it's a, it's the appropriate means of communication in some instances, right? There's some people who still write checks instead of using Binmo or crypto or just like Zelle or all these other bank transfer functions that you can do. And so, yeah, I think it, it also comes down to like the adoption of this, these technologies too. I, like I was out with some friends last night and I kind of compared crypto today to like the internet, like maybe in the mid or early 80s, where you you basically had to be a developer to send an email to somebody. And that's kind of how it feels right now when you're interacting with MetaMask. But, you know, I'm a huge UI UX maxi in the bear market right now. And I've started to see a lot of innovations on the wallet side of things that are kind of pushing people maybe to like the AOL moment, if you remember that, where it just it made things a lot easier for people to interact with this electronic mail communication and so i feel like that's what we're building in the bear market right now is this ease of use and i think y'all are doing that at arkham as well making the blockchain easier to read for individuals as well so um bullish on the bear market from a building standpoint but i I also want to get your opinion on you know what's business like in the bear market um for, for an entrepreneur you know what are you seeing on the venture capital side of things, maybe just like some anecdotal sentiment, and then maybe like even like some on-chain info uh, as well.
1: So there are a couple different ways to, to think about that. Um, number one is, uh, you know, fundraising. Uh, number two is like actually like customers moving around money. Um, I think the first one is easier to answer than the others, which is that though we have not gone through another fundraising round since like bear market started, uh, I think, like, overall, anecdotally, I, I've just heard that, you know, it's changed a lot and it's now just, like, way more difficult to actually be be able to do. Um, and uh, even though there's there's actually a little bit of, uh, of you know, a disconnect there because there's also a ton of dry powder and people need to, like, invest a lot of money that they raised during the bull, um, it, it, it's still, like, tightened up in terms of the amount that's actually being deployed. So that's number one. Um, number two. Uh, is then actually like you know customer spending, TVLs, things of that nature. You know, I think the crypto market capitalization has you know fallen a lot. I think that's very clear. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not going to grow more in the future. That being said, I think way more money is moving to places that matter like DeFi, and so as a whole, like the overall amount of money moving around in the in in the ecosystem as part of services rather than just buying and holding, I think has gone up by percent. Um, and then the last thing is like, you know, even more relevant is just, we're still growing really fast. We have a ton of users, bunch of people love us, uh, despite, you know, there being a bear market. So there will always be that kind of like heart of
0: the crypto community
1: that continues to grow and, uh, and, and, and build.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I was at ETH Denver last week. There's 25,000 people at least that showed up a lot of developers, a lot of hype in the industry, regardless of what the price action is doing. Price action is one thing, people coming to the space, bringing in their brain power in building new, exciting products. Um, that's a completely different story, which is what I am continuing to see. And we have just like a few more minutes left, and there's a couple questions I just want to get to uh, before we sign off. So I want to get a tutorial maybe from the expert, Miguel. Uh, what are some key indicators that you're looking for? or you feel like other people should be looking for when they're using Arkham intelligence? Like, what do you get excited for when you get on the platform? And what do you focus on when you're using Arkham?
1: I think in number one is I always like sitting and going through the, the top entities scroller. So whenever you log into Arkham for the first time, um, you know, without clicking any other buttons, it, it shows you a list of what we describe as top entities. So that's people who have the most crypto net worth on chain across the different chains that that we support. And it's just like a rolling list of all of these like big time whales and crypto OGs and people who are very important. Uh, and so you can click on any one of those buttons in order to see a bigger breakdown of their portfolio and their activity. And so that's like one kind of like source of alpha, which I think is like really cool. Just being able to see like, okay, these are like the biggest people like in crypto. Uh, and I can just click on them to see... What their recent trades, transactions and like portfolio looks like. If that existed for, for equities where I could see like on a minute by minute basis, exactly what trades the largest equities traders were making, you know, it would be like revolutionary technology. Uh, and I think it, what we're building is revolutionary technology. It's just, you know, for crypto right now, you know, it's a big deal for crypto people, but maybe not for everybody else until crypto takes over the world. And then, you know, we 100x as a business. Um, other than that. Um, I think that some of the other like more important things that that people have been looking at is, you know, the exchange reserves. Uh, and so people can look at exchanges and other kinds of services to try to understand, you know, what exactly their holdings look like relative to the amount of uh, deposits that have been made and the amount of backing that they state that they need. Actually verifying those things on chain by looking at those entities can be incredibly useful as well.
0: Wow, you got me a little excited for that, Miguel. I'm going to have to go check that out here, probably right when we sign off on of this conversation. Um, so one more question, the most important one, in my opinion, is where can people go to find out more about you, Miguel, and Arkham Intelligence?
1: So I, th- I think the best way would probably be to to find us on Twitter at Arkham Intel. Uh, I'm at Real Miguel Morel. I mostly talk about Arkham stuff. Um, but also you can search up our YouTube. We have plenty of tutorials and talks um, just describing what we do and, and what we've built and, uh, and, and, and how you can actually use the platform. And so I think those are the two you know, best places to look. Alternatively, you can also go on our landing page, argumentologist.com, uh, and it'll give you a bunch of information about media articles that have been written citing our data, you know, uh the the all of the different features of the platform. You can submit intelligence to us if you have a label that maybe you want us to add publicly to the platform, um, and a bunch of other research that that we have put out. So highly recommend checking all of that out.
0: Amazing, amazing. And Miguel Thank you so much for joining us on the show here today i hope you enjoy your time in argentina and i hope that i don't know you win your polo match are they matches or are they games i don't
1: there are matches mostly training but there there are matches thank you justin i really appreciate that we're also really happy to be working with polygon i forgot to mention that but you guys are amazing and have been a pleasure to work with and uh, i'm really excited to be helping out all the users of the polygon ecosystem
0: I totally agree. We're really excited to have y'all in the Polygon ecosystem. So uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in to the Polygon DeFi Alpha podcast. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and gained some valuable insights from Miguel Morel about the exciting world of decentralized finance in Web3. Stay connected with us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, and Substack. And then we'll catch you all next time. Thanks again, Morel. Thank you.